just before the 2012 election, Robert Jeffress, the Southern Baptist preacher and psychotic pile of human garbage, stood before his congregation and said the following, I want you to hear me tonight. I'm not saying that President Obama is the Antichrist. I'm not saying that at all. One reason I know he's not the Antichrist is the Antichrist is going to have much higher poll numbers when he comes. President Obama is not the Antichrist, nor am I saying that President Obama is not a Christian. I would never make that claim. I could not look into his heart as he cannot look into my heart. Nor am I saying the president doesn't have some good ideas. Nor am I saying that he doesn't deserve our respect and our prayers. But what I'm saying is this. The course he is choosing to lead our nation is paving the way for the future reign of the Antichrist. So that's nice of him to say that Obama had some good ideas and isn't the Antichrist. But notice how he says the word Obama and Antichrist three times each, twice in close succession. It's like if I were to say, look, I'm not saying Robert Jeffress eats babies. Robert Jeffress doesn't eat babies, but he is paving the way for a future full of baby eaters. It's also curious that Obama apparently hadn't had time to pave the way for the Antichrist in his first term. I mean, everybody knows it takes eight years to pave the way for the Antichrist, I guess. I digress. You've probably heard the term Antichrist before. You've probably called someone the Antichrist before. But if you ask the average person what the Antichrist is, you're unlikely to get a coherent answer. Maybe something to do with the number 666 or the apocalypse or something, but that's about it. So what the hell is the Antichrist? Let's find out. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Welcome to the second episode. Uh, with me today is the esteemed colleague of mine, Teddy Smith. Teddy, say hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Teddy's new to this. Uh, some things about you, Teddy Smith. Why don't you tell them about yourself? Well, I'm, uh, I work in the actually in the same department with John. Uh, we're both religious studies folk. Um, I teach morality and comparative religion, so my background's mostly in weird church stuff and uh, random religion. So that, that's good. We're going to be talking about some weird church stuff today, so um, mm. looking forward to that. Uh, Teddy is also in the band that did the theme song for this uh, podcast. Ah. Yeah, Bugs in the Corner. That's yes. that's Teddy's band. So. Yeah, that was our first album from back in 2017, and now way we're back. Way working back. on uh, working on another one coming out maybe this year. Maybe we won't get as much done with uh, coronavirus going on, but or maybe um, you'll get more done with coronavirus. Who knows? Yeah, perhaps. Uh, and nobody knows how long this is going to last, and we're probably not going to have baseball to watch this year. So. Mm. Good yeah. times, good times, free time. So, so Teddy, you are uh, one of these Catholics, if I've got that right. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> that's correct. Uh, well, that's good. So maybe you can give me some insight into um, what it is like to be an agent of the Antichrist. Uh, <laughs> how, how does that work, Teddy? How do you feel about that? I don't feel great about it. You don't? I mean, oh. No. And yet you choose to be a Catholic, despite <laughs> the fact that you are 
in a league uh, with the mm-hmm. Antichrist. Uh, in all seriousness, what do you know about the Antichrist? Um, I know that the Antichrist is supposed to come before Christ's second coming and sort of uh, pose as some sort of uh, wonderful giver of a person before and then showing his true colors towards the, I think, what is it, it's supposed to be, is it seven or 11 years of awfulness that we're uh, supposed to have? Seven years of tribulation, yeah. Right, and then, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I, I yeah, <laughs> actually, most of what I know f- about the Antichrist, that was never something I really studied. Most of what I know about the Antichrist is uh, from random media. So. Uh, so what? what left you, Behind is. Okay, one of the, we're going to talk about <laughs> Left Behind at the end of this podcast. So we're 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 getting there. We'll get to Left Behind. Um, so so, what is your understanding of where Antichrist mythology, theology, etc., where it comes from? Um, I don't know. There's, I know there's a few, so, some things in Paul. Doesn't he reference, uh, was it the man of sin or something like that? Ooh, that's good. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'm not, other than that, I don't really know. I mean, I know there's, there's some stuff in Revelations, of course, but I don't, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mostly unfamiliar. So this will, I'm definitely a guinea pig. All right, so, so, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a trivia question right now. Um, it, how many times does the word Antichrist appear in the Bible? Give it a guess. Uh, I'm going to guess zero. It's not zero. It's no, not it's zero. not zero. It's not zero. It's more than zero. How many times? Okay. Ooh. Uh, well, I, second guess would be 666 Wow. Times, but I yeah, that would be really cool, right? <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> that'd be that'd be some fun stuff if it was uh, that many times. Uh, five. It's five times. Uh, so it appears five times in the New Testament, and it appears only in two uh, books of the Bible. Um, and the two books are interesting as to where they're actually where they're from. Um, neither of them is uh, a Pauline epistle, uh, and and neither of them is the Book of Revelation. Uh, but they do appear in uh, two of the epistles of John. Um, So this requires a little bit of context. Uh, We Bible nerds talk about something called the Johannine tradition or Johannine literature. Uh, That essentially is the the gospel according to John, the book of Revelation, um, and the three uh, epistles of John, all of which written by different people, but associated with um, a, a one or more characters named John. And the thing that unites all of the Johannine literature is that it is highfalutin. I don't know how how would you, how would you talk about it, Ted? What's the? I so I guess the best way I could describe it is by describing uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which is to say that they're very normal. And they're very, they sound like theologians. John sounds like he is um, a lot closer to the person of Christ when he speaks. He sounds like he has a greater insight. He's very, I, I, I don't know if I want to say hyperbolic, but it, it sounds as though he's, you know, like really talking up some of the stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, so we, we we tend to refer to um, Mark, Matthew, and Luke in the uh, in the the synoptic 
gospel context as having low Christologies, uh, Mark being the lowest of the Christologies, followed by Matthew and Luke, which are sort of middle Christologies. Uh, and then we get to uh, John, where it's like the highest possible Christology, um, and there's very little in between. Uh, and so what that means is when we talk about Christology, we're talking about um, the way that uh, the nature of Christ, um, the, the sort of... Uh, holiness or the sort of power of Christ, the way it's um, sort of discussed or talked about, described within the context of that gospel. So we, we jump from Luke to John from this like, Luke's Jesus is, is sort of a um, kind of a super powered hippie. It's, it's kind of hard to describe. Um, but John is just like, John's uh, Jesus is this, is this just all out, right? Like, superhuman um I've, I've heard one person describe it to me uh or describe it in general as uh if mark's jesus is always clark kent uh john's jesus is always superman and i, I think that's a really good way <laughs> right that's a really yeah. good way to describe it and 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 we have the sort of the the dual identities um in in, in matthew and luke well john john is definitely the most um godlike in his portrayal of Christ, which is, I guess that I, I like the Superman. I've never heard that before, but I'm going to start using that now. <laughs> it's a, it's a good metaphor. Um, yeah. So, so, so the gospel of John is built around the idea of, uh, the logos, which is a, a old Greek, a platonic, uh, Greek philosophical idea that the, the universe has some sort of an underlying rational nature to it. And that Jesus is the personification, um, of the logos. And, and the very first, paragraph of the Gospel of John. It's incredibly dense and philosophical and really difficult to digest. Um, and that's sort of what made the the Johannine literature, um, that sort of gave it its stamp. It's very high-minded. It's very um, symbolic on a lot of different layers. Uh, it's very sort of mysterious in the way that it, it, it it's written. There's, there's this sort of, I don't know, there's this overriding power to it that you just don't get from the synoptic gospels um and it's very uh kind of disaster movie in its scope right like there's a lot of really high drama elements to it um so it's not all that surprising that that one of the people within that community um who authored the letters of 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 john um one of which may be the same as the author of the gospel of john uh it, certainly two of them are not. They're, they're very different in their language, but they identify themselves as John. Um, and this is where the, 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 the term Antichrist first appears. So I'm going to read from the New International Version of um, the uh, first letter of John, um, starting from 1 John 2, 18 through 23. And he says this, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. All right, so that's our first reference to the Antichrist. First John, uh, second chapter, uh, verses 18 through 23. Um, we got three Antichrists in there. 
Um, and just from that first attribution of Antichrist, um, reading it, what what does it tell you? Like, what do you hear that the Antichrist is from that description? Uh, from that description alone, I would I would probably assume that the Antichrist was really anyone that's not Christian. Right. Um, <laughs> it's it seems pretty clear that you know if you're denying Christ or or God in some way that you're whether it be through behavior or through you know verbal denial that you're basically the Antichrist. Uh, right. Which is pretty dark. Pretty dark sounding. Right, and it's it's pretty clear from this as well that like you know John talks about multiple antichrists, right? The second use of it is plural, um, and so the idea of this being like one individual person, um, that we'll, we'll we'll get to the evolution of that as we as we go along, um, but it's pretty clear that from this first attribution that that what the author is saying is not that it's a single person, but it's a description of a kind of person. Um, and we also get some interesting historical context here because it's clear that the writer of the letter is saying to the the reader of the letter, um, look, I know a bunch of you, bunch of your Jesus club has like left and walked away from you and don't believe it's going to happen, but that's how we know it's all about to go down, right? So like there's this apocalyptic undertone here where he's saying, um, you convinced a bunch of people to be Jesus people um, and they left and you're discouraged because the apocalypse still hasn't come in, but it's coming, baby. Uh, and and the appearance of these antichrists who are deceivers in their lack of faith is like one of the signs of the apocalypse, right? So it's, it's, there's a lot to be learned uh, um, from this letter right, about what's going on um, with this community. But yeah, it's pretty clear, right? This first attribution of the Antichrist is not a single person. It's, it's describing a kind of, a kind of non-believer. Which is, is interesting because it, it, it sort of reflects how I think a lot of, um, a lot of Protestant preachers approach talking to masses and saying, you know, because that, Protestants lean more towards that sort of, um, you know, if you're not a believer, you're damned right. uh, mentality. Whereas the Catholic tradition is it tends to side more with uh, a theologian like Hans Urs von Balthasar, who says, you know, that it, we have a reasonable, it's reasonable to assume that most people are not in hell, if, if not, uh, <laughs> You know, which is which yeah. is very yeah. uplifting compared yeah. to this sort of you know, if you are not a follower of Christ, you're immediately classified in this antichrist category, which um, definitely uh, definitely seems a lot more uh, harsh. Yeah, and so you can kind of see how how these these different sort of iterations of the antichrist then get kind of smushed together, right, later on in, in later Antichrist theology. Um, okay, I'm going to read the second instance. The second instance is in First uh, John uh, chapter 4, 1 through 3. Uh, and in this section, he says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world so so here it's like it's almost like a different definition of the antichrist but i i think if you read it a certain way it actually maybe isn't so what he says is this is the spirit of the antichrist right so in other words like this is how the non-believer 
spirit right presents itself this is how the person who is trying to deceive and throw you off of your faith uh, presents themselves and then he says what you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world um, so yeah again it doesn't really seem that that in in first John um, we're talking about a person it seems that in in very typical like Johannine tradition uh, this very kind of high high-minded word this very like powerful kind of sharp word of antichrist is being used to describe a certain type of person and not a specific individual um all right so then second john 7 says the following uh this is the only this is the only other um uh use of antichrist uh says this i I say uh, Sorry, Second John 7 is, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. <laughs> Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, uh, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead of you does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Uh, Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Uh, In this instance, it sounds like the author of 2 John is talking about... um, docetics uh and and specifically in in relation to the antichrist uh it's it sounds like it's talking about someone um does not acknowledge jesus christ as coming in the flesh um which the we the the docetic uh gnostics did not believe they believed that jesus was a sort of a projection an apparition an avatar uh and not and not fully flesh uh it seems that he's referring to them specifically as deceivers and the antichrist um and and don't fall for their for their nonsense um and that's it there there's nothing else right <laughs> anywhere in the new testament uh that ever mentions antichrist now now you you bring up something interesting which is um second and first thessalonians uh do actually play into this a little bit. So in 2 Thessalonians, Paul talks about the man of sin or the the, the, the lawless man, or it's, it's translated a bunch of different ways. And and that is a very similar sort of thing to what we find in the um, the Ohanian epistles. We also have in, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, the, the, the root of another element that is often associated with the Antichrist, which is the rapture. So what do you know about the origin of rapture theology uh, and and millennialism, which we'll, which we'll get to uh, towards the end here? Uh, no, I'm not familiar with the first, at least not, not out of the back of my, top of my head. Okay, so... Um, Basically, there's a, there's a line in First Thessalonians that that where Paul is talking about um, that uh, at, at the, the the coming of Christ, uh, the the dead the dead believers will be risen first. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And then it talks yeah. about meeting the Lord in the air, um, and 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 the, they will be caught up with Him right in the air. It's this really garbled phrasing um of this idea and that's part of the problem um so one of the things that a lot of people don't first get is is the way that especially someone like paul um around the time of of first century judaism uh the cosmology of the universe um had the the heavens divided up into different sections 
Um, the seventh heaven was the highest one. God was above that. Each one had its own like degree of holiness. Uh, and then below the true heaven is the air, right? Which is, which is the place underneath the vault described in Genesis, uh, which is the sky that we can see. And so when Paul says air, like what he's talking about really is, you know, like our sky, but he's using it in a way to talk about that. Like Jesus has, has, you know, plowed his way through the other heavens (laughs) and is now in like our heaven and up there in the sky. And and so Paul, who's typically a very good writer, um, it the the context gets lost here because one of the things that he's um, that he's saying is is that Jesus arrives and he is in the air and like people are there on the ground to greet him and the people who have been risen will like from the dead will will fly up to heaven and like be with him and then we're supposed to greet them on but on the ground and it's just it's very badly written right so. A lot of the way that people have read it in the past is, oh, when Jesus comes, all the believers will just like magically float up in the sky and just like hang out with Jesus in midair. And and that element uh, is all that this whole rapture sort of theology is based on. Um, it's not, it's nothing to do with the book of Revelation, right? So the rapture does not come from the book of Revelation at all. Uh, and And yet it somehow worked its way into being this sort of first element of a series of events that will lead to ultimately um the 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 final apocalypse right yeah because that's that's how it's always been presented um certainly in media but uh, everywhere uh including churches and it, it seems to be the uh the understood um the understood sort of uh i don't know hypothesis on how all this is going to go down and, and i think it's funny because you know, I talk to my students all the time about misreading texts, especially the Bible, because, I mean, we obviously we deal with the Bible quite a bit, especially in wisdom. But, you know, it, it's not a typical text, and you can't read it as such. So you have to take care in how you uh, try to understand and navigate these bizarre passages, especially ones like these when they're not written very well. I mean, you know, talk about, you know, uh, you can talk about different translations and stuff. That's why I loved the uh, what's the the guy uh, uh, you you showed him to me. Um, oh, David Bentley Hart. Yes, David yeah. Bentley Hart. He has that that translation that's essentially just exactly what the Greek said. Grammatical errors included. You know, we were joking around about how Mark always starts every sentence with "and," which is funny and. Um, but, you know, I always tell the kids, you know, you got to read this carefully. And I think that it, it just kind of makes me laugh that what is now considered the uh, kind of the, no pun intended, the gospel truth is um, kind of from what you could argue is a misreading of this passage in Thessalonians, which is... Um, almost in the spirit of Christianity over the last 2000 years. <laughs> yeah, and it's you know it's 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 also one of the things that I'm always talking to my students about is that um it's not just a matter of like good translation, right? So first of all, you, you can never fully translate one language to another. It's just not possible. Right. Well, yeah, like, with the logos, I mean, absolutely, Hart didn't even translate it. He right. just left it because <laughs> there is no translation. Yeah, right. and if you try to translate it, you're going to wind up with a very clumsy 
sentence that that's that's going to be very difficult to say it over and over again. So like, oh, the word, that's fine, right? Um, and no, it's nowhere near adequate. But it's not, so it's not even just like the the direct word to word translation. Like, there's that element of it, but there's also like grammatical structures are different language to language grammatical structures change over time uh the, the 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 context of a word changes over time so like air doesn't necessarily mean the same thing to paul that it means to us so so there's all kinds of you know places where um we got to be really careful about uh even when we are very good at translating and very good at understanding you know koine greek and and being able to to transcribe it um there's still context that we often miss like one of the things that paul understood the the way that paul thought about all of this stuff was that like jesus was literally going to be back sometime on earth in his lifetime and like that's what he was waiting around for and 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 that was crucial to the a lot of the early christian church like they they weren't thinking about going to heaven at some point when they die they they were thinking about Jesus showing up on earth, like kicking ass, taking names, and then being like, and new kingdom and everybody's happy, right? And, and, and so a lot of it needs to be understood within that context. And like, that's not even really how Christianity operates anymore. Um, so, so this to, to me seems like a classic example of people going back and, and finding the confirming evidence, right? So like you have this idea of like what's going to happen when when the end times begin and you then just pick out these oh like Paul said this, right? And he's like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go fly up in the air." <laughs> like that's <laughs> that's how it's all going to go down. Um and and as we go through the the history of of the antichrist, I think we can see exactly how that how that played out. Um so that's all we've got from the New Testament. So so let's talk about the other element of this, which is which is the place that the Antichrist doesn't appear, but also is most associated with, which is the book of Revelation, right? So the figure that gets mixed up with the Antichrist, and this has been going on for hundreds of years, um, is a figure in the in the uh, the book of Revelation called the Beast, right? So 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 the Beast is this figure who is sort of the um, the catalyst for uh, this massive apocalyptic battle um, that is the fever dream of the book of Revelation. Um, And the beast is a very ambiguous figure, um, but somehow along the way, uh, the references to the Antichrist in in the epistles of John uh, and and the beast got mushed together. Um, So what is your take on the beast, um, who the beast is, what the beast is all about, what the book of Revelation is all about, um, and, and how and why do you think these two things got, got mushed together? Well, I think, um, I, whenever I think of the beast, I actually think of the, uh, the Doctor Who episode, the Satan pit, <laughs> you know? It's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Cause I, and I think that it's, it's interesting that you know, you say that these things have been sort of um, confused with one another, and I, and I think that that's uh, sort of a a common theme in in modern theology, especially. And, I, and as a Catholic, I don't mean to pick on the Protestant side very much, but it, I have a, a number of friends who, uh, actually, one of my closest friends from high school is he's a Baptist. I, I'm not really sure. He's you know what? There's what forty thousand denominations. I, I don't you know. He's one of those. Um, 
<laughs> One of those and, non-Catholics, yeah. And and not a Methodist, so. <laughs> okay, those are the two you know? Um, All right, yeah. Well, well, Methodist being closest to Catholicism, about as close as you can get anyway. Uh, uh, so Episcopalianism, I, but yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, well. Yeah, or, yeah sorry, I'm in, a, I'm in Episcopal, my, my mistake. But So he always talks about how... Um, his he has his uncle is uh, got some crazy theories. Um, he's sort of a conspiracy theory fella. Is his uncle Alex Jones? No, no. no but okay. I, I'm pretty sure his uncle enjoys a good watch of Alex Jones. So oh, good God! I, I, okay, right. So I think that sets the stage the stage right there. Um, he they kind of have these little arguments back and forth, and they're always you know they're supporting it with Bible verses, and and it's very interesting to talk to him. I he he actually met Bill Hatzberger, who's a uh, for you listeners, <laughs> he's a colleague of ours, very very smart man. He's got a thousand degrees, um, and he also he does do uh, I think he preaches uh, at his church. Pretty sure he does. It seems yeah. like he does. Yeah. He's certainly uh, certainly has the ability to do so. Um, but he talks about how his uncle comes up with these bizarre theories uh, about the you know, about the nature of Christ, or or it was something a lot of times about you know sort of the end times type stuff, the apocalyptic stuff, and um, he'll use lines from the New Testament wherever he can find them to support this theory, even if these. Certain passages maybe have no connection to one another. He he draws these connections, um, and my friend Justin, being somewhat of a traditionalist, at least in the Protestant tradition, is uh, sort of he gets flabbergasted by that because he's so frustrated because it's like, well, you know, yeah, he is using the text to support it, but it's hard to say to somebody or to explain to them how they're using it in the wrong way. So like, you're not doing it right. It's like, well, I'm supporting the, with the text. And it's like, well, okay, yeah, but these things may not have any relation to one another. And to use them um, in conjuncture or to use one in conjunction with the other is just, I guess it's not allowed. Do you know what I mean? Because it's not, those authors are perhaps from different times or we're writing about different topics entirely. And you're just interpreting them. Because you see the beast and you're like, oh, well, hey, it probably means the Antichrist, right? There's a, there's a connection. <laughs> probably Obama. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, oh, I remember that. People were saying that he was the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> he was elected. That was, that was super racist. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, well, I think what you described there is, 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 uh, is a great uh, sort of rundown of how conspiracy theories work. I mean, it's... The basic difference between a conspiracy theory and an actual theory is that conspiracy theories start with a conclusion and, right. and then and then compile confirming evidence and and as opposed to looking at the evidence and drawing a conclusion based on that, which is you know how we do science, right? But it's really easy to 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 sort of fudge that difference and make it seem like you are <laughs> you are drawing a rational conclusion because you're like i i've decided this happened and now here's all the reasons why right like i'm going to pick out this and this and this like 9-11 conspiracy theories are a great example of this and they're so recent and we have so much documented evidence of it um of of just exactly how it works like you watch any of the 9-11 inside job conspiracy theory movies oh my gosh and it's all it's all the same thing right it starts with 9-11 was an inside job and then okay, this is the conclusion of my thesis. 
and now here is all this grainy footage and steel, you know, jet, jet fuel can't melt steel. Uh, George you Bush's know, cousin science. was involved with blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and it's Paul Liverstein and... and, and and all you got to yeah. do is just get enough enough fragmentary evidence. Doesn't matter the context th- right. that that supports your idea. Um, you know, millennialism and and the whole the whole sort of apocalyptic modern uh, sort of end times craze is is just another example of that. Uh, it starts with the. I know this is how it's going to end, right? And sometimes even these people are like, this is the day it's going to end. And that's happened a lot of times in history um, oh, where it's yeah. like, oh, no, I calculated it like based on my mathematical reading of the Bible and it's going to end this day. And uh, we're definitely going to do an episode on the Great Disappointment at some point um, in, in this show <laughs> because that's my favorite version of that. But it's happened so many times. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew a guy in college who, who said to me, uh, he said something like, uh you know, the end times are coming. I was like, eh, kind of hope they're not. Like, I'm enjoying life right now. I'm not not really ready for Jesus to come back. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably not very religious of me. But and he goes, he was. I mean, he was obviously a little shocked by the response. But uh, yeah, I've been I've been told that by people. Like, hey, you better watch out. It's coming. It's coming. especially, you know, you brought up the uh, people were saying that Obama was the Antichrist of all people, and it was. Uh, I heard that a lot going around, and people were like, oh, my God, if he wins in 2012, the world's definitely over. And it's like, well, here we are. And, you know, people, hey, Trump's been the president for almost four years, and the world's not over. So, I mean. Uh, it's getting there, though. Um, yeah, well, but, yeah. <laughs> we are in the middle of a, you know, Yay! worldwide. <laughs> Worldwide crisis. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to timestamp the show. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, yeah. So, so um, you know. <laughs> true enough. True enough. Uh, so, so all right. Date it here. <laughs> <laughs> so the 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 big thing that everybody knows about the beast is the number of the beast, which is six six six. Um. So, so let's sort of tear that apart a little bit. Um. Okay. Most people. Most sane, rational scholars uh, look at the book of Revelation as um, a very uh, subversive text. It's a a secret document um, written for the eyes of people who understand its code language. Because if you read it the way that most scholars do, it is a diatribe against Roman imperial power. Um, it's a diatribe against every imperial power that has ever stood against the Israelites or, or you know, the, the, the new Christian movement. Um, and almost everybody agrees, and this has been the case for a very long time, that the, the beast is Nero. Um, and, and one of the reasons why that is a compelling case is because of, uh, in the um, in Semitic languages, particularly in Hebrew, uh, letters have numerical value, right? So you can actually give uh, anybody's name a numerical value, and you can also reverse engineer that. Um, and so a lot of people have pointed out that that the the um, numerical value of, I think that the phrase is uh, Caesar Nero, uh, is 666, right? So, so this is a very clever way of like using the, 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 the known language, um, the Semitic language, uh, as a way of sort of 
making a cipher for something that is a screed against Roman power um, and a promise to overthrow it uh, and, and, a, and a coming overthrowing of that power uh, without getting in trouble, right? And, right, right. and in, in the context, that makes the most sense because, like, the book of Revelation is insane. Like, it's, it's not just that Jesus comes down and, like, brings a kingdom on earth and all the non-believers perish. Like, it's nuts. And it, there's a lot of dragons and, and weird, you know, the, the whore of Babylon. Like, there's, there's just some, it's crazy stuff. Um, yeah. And to take it literally is really tough <laughs> because there's, like, a talking sheep with a lot of eyes. And, like, what? Right? And, and so clearly all of that stuff has, has uh, you know, a known, a known symbolic value to the communities it was shared with at the time, um, and, and that's that. But obviously it captures the, magi- the imagination as well, right? And so a lot of that sort of fire and brimstone sci-fi fantasy novel stuff of, of the book of Revelation, um, you know, it struck a chord with people, especially people who were kind of seeing the struggle of this movement and and the continued oppression of Rome over time. Um, so again, I, that to me is the one that like you really have to be careful about how you read it and taking it out of context. But for some reason, the Antichrist and the Beast and, and the 666 iconography um, very quickly got got wrapped up together. Um, it didn't take long at all. Um, and, and the first person to do it um, is Irenaeus at the end of the second century. So we'll get to him in a second. Um, but so like that's, that's where the Bible ends, right? With, with, the, with the whole Antichrist thing. Uh, and then, not surprisingly, it's, it, the idea is picked up um, in the second century by some of the heavy hitters of, of uh, you know, early... Christianity, um, people like Polycarp and Hippolytus and Tertullian and Origen and 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 um, yep. most of them were like, oh yeah, it's it's Rome. <laughs> like the Antichrist is Rome. Like that's 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 the whole point. Uh, it is the major imperial power that is trying to uh, you know destroy and stamp us out and persecute us and feed us to the lions and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, Origen doesn't even he doesn't even take the stuff that's said about hell and revelations all that seriously. He's like ah people burning. Ah, you know what? Nobody's in hell. Apocatastasis. That's what we're gonna go with. And Origen is, is, is the one of those who uh, is the only one who really even suggests the idea or entertains the idea that the Antichrist is a single person. Um, and sort of says, like, yeah, I mean, if there's a Christ, then I guess there could be an Antichrist. Like, if there's a best possible person, I guess there could be a worst possible person. <laughs> and, like, that's pretty much all he has to say about it, right? But, but, but he is the one who, who really just sort of... Uh, even sort of opens the door to the idea of like, yeah, maybe it's a guy. Maybe some guy's going to come along and be like the worst possible guy, the same way that Jesus was the best possible guy. And like, yeah. I don't know, right? Uh, the, the one who really um, starts to, to kind of mythologize it the most is Hippolytus. Uh, and Hippolytus also sprinkles it with a healthy dose of anti-Semitism. Uh, so, <laughs> so, nice. so he says that... The Antichrist will be from the tribe, and this is a weird tribe to pick, by the way, but the tribe of Dan, which is like one of, like, that's one of the most random of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, <laughs> but he says the tribe of Dan is going gonna, is gonna to produce the Antichrist, and he's going to like rebuild the temple uh, of Solomon, and he's going to be a fake messiah, and I don't even know where he's getting this from, but like, 
that's what he says, right? So he's like, that's what the Antichrist is going to be. Uh, even that seems to be sort of wrapped up in in a certain kind of symbolic uh, political statement. But but you know, that's about it. So like the second century, um, for the most part, that's yeah. This idea continues to be developed um, and talked about and acknowledged, um, and the ball keeps kind of rolling. Um, but but the biggest of the Antichristers by far. Um, is Irenaeus. And Irenaeus is an interesting guy because he's one of those people that is so important to the history of Christianity and like almost nobody knows who he is, right? Like most modern Christians, I probably have never heard of Irenaeus, but like his contributions to what we now think of as uh, as as Christianity are are enormous. He's the he's the uh, super anti Gnostic guy, right? Oh, like oh yeah, like insanely anti Gnostic. So so the the reason that Irenaeus is so interesting and that he's so important is that he he was uh, the bishop of what is now Lyon in in France uh, at the end of the second century, and um, he oversaw like when he was the bishop. I think it was Marcus Aurelius was the um, Roman emperor, and so there was this like this weird sort of city civil war between the Christians and the natives <laughs> like of of that region of Gaul. And it's it's very strange, like it's the, the details of it are very difficult to sort of come by. But like basically it was like a like Christians not welcome here, right? Like on restaurant signs and stuff like that. And so like these tensions got really heated and then uh, Aurelius was just like, yeah, just you know, I don't know, kill a few of them, like whatever, like just settle it, right? So so what ended up happening was this was this like dozens of, of Christians were like really brutally massacred um, in in Lyon, and this is one of the the persecutions that we actually can document pretty well because a lot of them are heavily mythologized. But like this really happened; it was pretty gruesome, right? Yeah. So so Irenaeus' response was was uh, well we should probably all agree on what we're dying for, right? Like, if we're going to be murdered horrifically, like, let's all agree why we're being murdered horrifically and, and have the same basic understanding of the faith. So his main main thing, like, the thing that really pissed him off was, was the Gnostics, was the idea of docetism, the idea that, like, Jesus wasn't fully flesh and, and all that sort of thing. And so he wrote this massive treatise against Gnostics. And in doing so, he named a whole bunch of Gnostic Gospels that we didn't know really existed until about 100 years ago, and we discovered a bunch of them, including the Gospel of Judas, right, which was first discovered about 50 years ago. But he wrote them down. He was like, this one sucks, and this one sucks, and this one sucks, and don't read this. And he went on and on and on about the Gospel of Judas being like a horror show. Uh, And so we're like, wow, interesting. I guess there was a Gospel of Judas by 190 AD. Um, so anyway, in against heresies, he he argues for the 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 canonization of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. He's the first person to say like these are the only four gospels we should be reading. Uh, he did so basically based on their popularity. It seems that like they were the ones that were most sort of circulated and the most read. Uh, and so he realized kind of like well. I'll piss as few people off as possible if I have these four. And also, like, they don't disagree with each other that badly. So, like, okay, we'll, we'll put these four Gospels in, in, and they'll be the only four. So he's the first to sort of get the ball rolling on that. But he also, like, in Against Heresies, picks up this Antichrist thing. And he's, he's, he's the first one who's like, the Antichrist is the beast, and the number of the beast is 666. And then he starts, like, 
trying to translate 666 and trying to come up with a name for the beast uh, and doesn't come up with Nero, but but does seem to be the first person who's like, yeah, this is all tied together. This is all part of a this is all part of a thing. So by embracing the Johannine literature and the Gospel of John, he was also then like, and here's what all the other John stuff says, and sort of puts it in a blender, uh, and then that really gives birth to sort of the modern Antichrist uh, idea, right? Like that's kind of where it starts. Hmm. Yeah. No. This is. I mean, because I. I don't, yeah, I know Irenaeus, and I know, um, I forget which class, I think I actually learned about him, oddly enough, in a uh, theology and art class, which is something something special there. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have never known as much about the tradition of the Antichrist, and it's so fascinating to me that it is so... so at least in its more realistic sense, it's so separated from the idea that we've all come to understand culturally um, because it's been just sort of merged with uh, this beast uh, character from Revelations, which, yeah, it's fascinating because it's, again, I, I think I've said this before, but I, it seems to be a, a common uh, miscarriage of the of the the new testament where we read stuff and we go uh eh, yeah but he probably means this you know and it's <laughs> yeah and I, I think that even in the case of Irenaeus you have you have a guy who is um he's got a political agenda right and and even he's using this antichrist idea and this beast idea and the 666 idea to like attack Rome like he's, he's still kind of using it the right way uh, in in a certain way, like he definitely has a grudge against Rome. He's 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 really uh, that's that's who he's really going after. He's saying like, you know, we have to unite and we have to all agree on this thing because like we're gonna get slaughtered, uh, and if we're gonna die for this, then like we better all be on the same page, right? It really was a survival tactic, and even he is like, yeah, definitely the Antichrist is like a Roman thing. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because he still is sort of being consistent with the with the with the original intention of the Antichrist, but like he definitely inflated it into this into this yeah. much more sort of collective thing, which also makes sense for what he's doing because like that's part of his whole notion of saying like let's have these four gospels. It's like it's trying to simplify and merge and like make everything sort of fit into one little box. Um, so, so it's, it's, it's oddly consistent, right? And, and also it's, it's in the way that Irenaeus is in his writing, like incredibly fiery, um, and, and volatile and sort of hostile, uh, towards anybody who disagrees with him. Um, so for the most part, right, up until the 16th century, um, the Antichrist was 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 Rome, and then, for some reason, Antichrist thinking sort of disappeared in the during the Dark Ages when like wasn't really a thing. Um, at that time, like that's when and this is kind of interesting because it's during the Dark Ages that the whole the, the the whole devil idea begins to take over. So. I'm also going to do another episode about this separately. I don't want to go into too much detail about this, but like the Antichrist kind of seems to disappear from around 500 AD when Rome falls to about 1500 AD when the Protestant Reformation <laughs> begins, right? And so 
in that period of time, like what you have is, is a much different sort of calculation. You have a much different um, struggle that you're dealing with. It's no longer about, you know, Christians versus Rome. It's Christians versus um, death <laughs> and like chaos and anarchy on the continent. Yeah, well, I suppose you would have to reshape um, the way that you that you propose this theology and the way that you frame it depending upon the, the time period that you're in. Because I, I think at a certain point, you know, especially because Christianity was not original. I mean, at least a lot of the ideas, like you've mentioned, Paul thinking, you know, Jesus is coming back like next week, maybe. So I got to be ready for this. Um, and Christianity almost wasn't meant to last so long. Um, and so the idea of the Antichrist being Rome no longer carries much weight because certainly as a christian myself i don't sit around going uh that darn rome you know because i'm i wasn't alive during these persecutions oh 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 but rome comes back in the antichrist so so hold that thought for a second um so (laughs) so there's a couple of interesting little tidbits right so after after um after nicaea um so after Christianity in that brief window of time when like the Roman Empire still functioned and Christianity what's its official religion yes. what was that 3 381 with Theodosius the first is that somewhere in there yeah 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 so it's about it's 100 and yeah, about 100 yeah. years, really, um, where that takes place. But even from the Council of Nicaea from, like, 320 uh, onwards, right, basically, I mean, it's it's in the driver's yeah. seat. Right. Um, and so, so in that period of time, there is one person, not surprisingly, who gets labeled with the Antichrist label, Arius, uh, <laughs> who's, who is who is charged by uh, Athanasius of Alexandria um, as being the Antichrist. Um, now, Arius is another one of those people who is very well known to um, religion nerds, uh, the Arian heresy. Uh, but uh, can, you, can you give a little brief rundown as to why Arius made so many people upset and uh, why he was um, yeah, almost definitely murdered? Yeah, the Arian heresy is uh, that Jesus was... Um basically just a just a guy right yeah well so well not that it that he was just a guy but that he was like not quite god that he was so this all has to do with the distinction between the greek word homotius and homotius and the iota that changes literally the greek letter iota that changes that word from one to the other um and one means of similar stuff and one means of the same stuff and well because he thought didn't he think that Jesus was was basically like a almost like a like God's first in command? Like he was yeah. a subordinate of God. Yeah. He wasn't really like yeah. So he obviously, he wasn't God himself, right? So uh, in the so, flesh. so he argued that Jesus was not God and God incarnate, but that he was crafted by God of like God juice or whatever, like yeah. God clay, yeah. uh, and then <laughs> and like right. put on earth and like but. And I think Arius did also believe that he's still, like, alive in heaven and, and is, like, still, you know, just, like, buddies with God. Uh, but but that that pissed people off so much, right? Like, this literally yeah. was the central 
argument of the Council of Nicaea was like a lot of people were Arians, and Arianism lasted for a long time. Like people were really into this idea um, because it was a lot less philosophical than the Trinity, and that's the only other way of right. solving that problem, right? Uh, and it was much more consistent with sort of traditional pagan beliefs of like demigods and so forth. So Arius, this guy gets invited to the Council of Nicaea to like argue his case, uh, and there's a story, and it's one of my favorite stories, and I th- it might be true, um, but the story is that, that Nicholas, um, as in Santa Claus Nicholas, like, was so furious with Arius as he was like giving his presentation that he got up from the table, like, walked across the room and just straight decked Arius in the face and, uh, and like, knocked him out cold. I don't know if that's apocryphal, but <laughs> it's, it's a well-known story of St. Nicholas. So Arius is then, like, expelled from Christianity (laughs) entirely. Uh, And then Constantine, a few years later, like, invites him back and and just has him tone down his heresy or whatever, and then invites him to another council. But on the way, uh, Arius is is, uh, supposedly dies of natural causes on the way there, Mm. which is surprising because these natural causes caused his internal organs to liquefy. Uh, so oh. probably not natural causes so much as murdered by poison. But uh, yeah, yeah. So, so Arius is this like this this figure of fury to a lot of people who are who are like hardcore Trinitarians, and obviously the Trinitarians won uh, the debate at the Council of Nicaea, and so he, as far as I can tell, is the first specific individual person who got labeled as either A or the Antichrist uh, anywhere anywhere in history um, uh, in, in, my, in my research. Um, the other guy who I think is an important one around the same time is uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, it's another uh, early church theologian, uh, but he also was like one of our first end times nuts, like one of the first people who would be like on the Alex Jones show um, if he were alive today, who, uh, you know, really believed in sort of the whole like tribulation <laughs> period and like the re- reign of Jesus and uh, the rapture and all that sort of thing. And it, I think that Cyril of Jerusalem is also the first person who talks about the three and a half year reign of the Antichrist, which is another element that then gets woven into the Left Behind uh, mm. series later on. This seems to come out of nowhere, but I also think it's really interesting because of the specific timing of three and a half years. Uh, because, of course... Half of seven. Half of seven, right. Three and a half is half of seven. And, and there's this whole sort of like, you know, six is is one less than seven and six is like the fallen number and so like the number of the beast is six 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 and everything else so there's this whole like sort of mathematics element involved here that like three and a half sounds like a random number of years but like no it's half of perfection and and seven is the number of christ and perfection and so forth um but yeah i I, I thought that was pretty cool and it's split into that that three and a half year reign is is correct me if i'm wrong but that's after the Antichrist supposedly shows his true colors, whereas the first three and a half years are, he's supposed to be sort of uh, posing as this godly figure who's supposed to be protecting and pulling people together and all of that. Right, and I, I also think that's what's so <laughs> that's what's so sort of like sinister about this whole Antichrist idea. It's it's a, it's a great sort of defensive weapon for a religion to say that like anybody who is well liked, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And sort of like humanistic, 
that's definitely the Antichrist. So that's why it's really easy to be like, it's Obama or like, it's Trump, right? It doesn't even like matter how you're well liked no. as long as people like think you're cool. Uh, yeah. And I, I, well, and if you're, uh, so I think I think part of the reason Obama got thrown in there is because of the, the globalism thing. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure that's part oh. of it too, that you're like, oh, oh yeah. bringing the world together. <laughs> that's such a bad thing. Um, we'd hate to have the world work together and get along. That'd be awful. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So when does the Antichrist re-arise? Well, not surprisingly, um, the Antichrist comes back into vogue uh, during the Protestant Reformation. Um, and who do you think was most commonly referred to as the Antichrist among the major movers and shakers of the Protestant Reformation? Uh, Pope? The Pope! <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us back to my question in the beginning of how it feels to be a subject of the, uh, the Antichrist. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> now I want to preface this by saying, like, in certain cases, you know, they had a point, right? So, like, when you look at people like Leo X or, like, any of the like any of the Medici popes or any of the Borgias, like, a lot of the Renaissance popes were really terrible people uh, and pretty gruesome and brutal and hedonistic and just not at all a reflection of um, what we think of as pious Christianity, right? I mean, Luther himself, right, when he went to Rome and saw what was going on there, yeah, like he had a point. Uh, and, and certainly I, I think a lot of people could look at someone like Leo X and be like, uh, yeah, I can see some Antichrist going on there. But yeah, man, uh, so so from now on, right, Rome is back as the Antichrist, but Rome is not the Roman Empire. It is the Roman Church that is the Antichrist. And when you look at the writings of like John Calvin and Martin Luther and John Wesley and like Roger Williams, like any, like any of the major Protestant figures, um, they all had something to say about the Pope in Rome being the Antichrist. And it was a different Pope each time, right? Like for a lot of them, because they were those different figures from different times and they were different Popes, yeah. but the Pope was always, was always the Antichrist. So, you know, the, you could, yeah, people thought people were saying that Francis was the Antichrist. Absolutely. Too, because, oh, sure. You know, yeah. And I'm, pre I'm pretty sure they said the same about John Paul II, especially considering that John Paul I died within 30 days. So they're like, oh, no, like this is the, here we go, you know, because it, and you know, John Paul II was young and hip and well-liked. And, and the same with Francis, not the young part, but uh, <laughs> certainly the, the hip part. Um, and, and a lot of his... Uh, language on you know on the the catholic family and on gay marriage and things like that seems so progressive so i know again and that oh well if the pope is well liked by people beyond the purview of of your typical catholic well you know maybe we have some trouble there i think that was sort of the the hypothesis um which which fits in with this antichrist stuff but it, it it's just funny that that of all people, Pope Francis considered the Antichrist. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes but, it makes a certain kind of. I mean, that doesn't make a sense, and it make a certain kind of sense. Shaking things <laughs> objectively, up, you know? but it does. I mean, in in the context, especially of like uh, Reformation Protestantism. I mean, a lot of Protestants have sort of mellowed out by now, but like a lot of them are also still very anti-Catholic. Um, yeah, yeah. But it does make sense that you know they they what they're arguing is 
we've been doing this religion wrong for a thousand years. They've been telling us this book says stuff it doesn't say. Uh, and they are the deceivers that are that were talked about in the the first letter of John, right? Like it just it goes right back to the beginning, and and there's almost a more sort of coherent logic there, and more sort of a, um, a, a authentic antichrist thing uh, than than we saw in the early church fathers. That that it's almost less fan fiction. It's it's more like yeah, they're the ones who are the deceivers who are trying to tell us this is the religion, but it really isn't. So you can kind of see how they're sort of using the 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 same playbook um, that a lot of the early Christian writers, when they were the minority, were using, right? It's, it's, it's history repeating itself in a certain way. Now, do you think that the connection to the beast, the connection that we still have today in our, underst- our cultural understanding of the Antichrist, do you think that that was um, kind of comes out again because of the Protestant, uh, at least their perspective during what you're talking about, about with respect to the popes, uh, because the popes are so uh, such powerful figures. I, do you think that that shapes kind of the left behind um, identity of the Antichrist, being being the beast again, but not really, you know? Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I, I do. I mean, even even someone like John Hagee, who's a who's a you know vicious lunatic of a of a right wing preacher, right? But even he, fairly recently, I think in the last ten years, like referred to the Pope as the whore of Babylon, right? right. And so it's like it's like it's it's not ambiguous. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah no. it's, it's not like maybe there. Are, it's it's no, no, no. Like I am telling you that this is this figure in the Book of Revelation. Um, so yeah, of of course, like the 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 Catholic Church is a massive power structure. It really is in a lot of ways. There's a direct line between the Roman imperial seat and the seat of the Bishop of Rome, right? It's yeah. there there. It's it's Pontifex the, the Maximus. Absolutely right. The Pope did become effectively the the Roman Emperor yeah, um, yeah. at at a certain point. So, you know, it it makes a lot of sense. And and of course, if the Protestants are going to pick up on this Antichrist thing, um, yeah, of course. But at the same time, it's one of those almost sort of hypocritical elements of Protestantism that they are so you know, we're only going to do what the Bible says and every, everything not in the Bible doesn't count, but then also sort of adopt this tradition that clearly came from like extra biblical sources, clearly within the Catholic tradition. It's it's one of the fascinating things about the Protestant movement in general to me, that like everything about it comes from the Catholic Church, including the Bible, which was a, you know, put together and 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 edited by a bunch Catholic. of Catholics, yeah. right? Uh, before the Catholic Church even existed. Um, so yeah, it's 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 logical, and it's of course that's who they're going to say is the Antichrist, and of course that's who they're pitting as their 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 villain um, on Earth uh, as as their antagonist, um, and that played out in a very real way for a couple hundred years during the Reformation. Um, but yeah, so it's it's not a surprise um, that that that's that's where it comes back. Um, and yeah, it, there, you know, it, then it seems that for the most part, um, it just is sort of like the Pope's the Antichrist. That's who we're fighting against. The end times are going to come at some point. Uh, and then sometime in the 19th century, uh, when we really start to see um, the sort of millennialist uh, thing show up again, right? So a 
uh, a gearing up to the end times and a apocalyptic mentality the way that we think about it now that jesus is going to come out of the sky uh and the war is going to break out and you got to be on the right side and you're going to be raptured and, and all that sort of thing um and so so that that is really the culmination of a bunch of um different religious interpretations over the course of centuries um and also the the realities of of sort of what was going on um on the ground so to speak right um around that time um so that brings us to left behind (laughs) um so the first left behind book was published in 1995 uh and there are i think seven 16 16 16 oh my gosh i didn't know there were 16 um (laughs) all of them bestsellers and that tells you something uh i read the first one (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) did you no uh i kind of understand why um thoughts on the first left behind book which is just called i think left behind right Or, Uh... or is that or is it the rising is that what it is oh so the rising is a prequel to left behind written after so i'm seeing that books number 13 14 and it's like star wars uh books number 13 14 and 15 are episodes one two and three and then left behind which was the first one uh is episode four that's great that's very star warsy uh so and the similarities end there so from what i remember um it was a long time ago. I think I was in middle school when I read it. When I read it, because I, I think I read it around the time the movies came out, and I don't remember when those came out either. But um, I remember watching them with my family, and it was funny because they they only released two movies, I think. Um, I think so. And so, well, then they also remade the first one with Nicolas Cage. Oh, they did. Amazing. Oh, well, yeah. I, well, I've got to see that then. Um, but from what I remember, the, the book is pretty much all set up. It's all, um, hey, it's all, you know? it's all exposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you, you get introduced to the main characters, and you get introduced, what was that guy's name? Uh, Nikolai or something like that? Hey, Nikolai Karpathia. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that guy. Um, and he was he was this like very charming fellow. So that's what, in addition, of course, shaped my understanding. Of the Antichrist, which is really awful to say as a, as a religious studies major, but yeah, you know, I didn't study the Antichrist in college, so it wasn't really. No, well, yeah, it's not. Does. It's not right. on the. Nope. It's not on the docket for most people. I mean, you know, you study, um, you study the Council of Nicaea, you study Vatican II, you study, um, you know, basic <laughs> New Testament theology, you study Paul, different saints and stuff, and popes and encyclicals, but you you rarely look into the Antichrist and. I wonder if and maybe I should uh, tell the Holy Cross the only way I'm going to donate is if you uh, start putting the Antichrist on the table. <laughs> an Antichrist course. So, like, yeah, yeah. And it's the thing is that I just don't even know if people – I mean, people throw the word around all the time, and I just don't even know if people have any image in their head. Like, I think they confuse the devil and the Antichrist as being, like, one and the same. Yeah. Um, or, like, the Antichrist is like a – like the devil's the son of the devil yeah like yeah like omen the omen or something like that yeah. yeah or 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 i even imagine just like a like a mirror world star trek version like just a goatee jesus right like uh yeah. something like that right just like a 
Jesus all in black uh, and with a goatee. Right, right. And like there is actually some like Renaissance art that basically depicts it that way, uh, which is which is funny and crazy. But yeah, so in Left Behind, uh, Nicholas Carpath. Sorry, uh, let me say the full name. Nikolai Jetty Carpathia. Oh wow! Is the Antichrist, and I want to really talk a little bit about that name in a second too because it's amazing. But so the Left Behind books are. I kind of it's a it's a sort of a way of like making a um a, a Michael Bay movie novel of the combined sort of rapture eschatology theology tribulation end of days Armageddon all of that stuff right like just point by point thrown into this thing there's a bunch of sort of moralizing and like you know, the true Christians who are going to be raptured and the guys who are going to be left behind in the tribulation force. What's the, is Raymond, Raymond, not Raymond Steele. What's the name of the main uh, character? It's so stupid. It's definitely Steele. It's, it's Ray something Steele. Rayland? I think it's Rayland Steele. And like, where the hell do you come up with that name? Oh, anyway. Rayford. Rayford! Okay. <laughs> That's the worst. I couldn't even oh, make wow. up, I couldn't even make up the one that was bad. Well, okay. Anytime you use the name Steel, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Brian Steel. That's the name you come up with at like four in the morning when you're drunk. Um, huh. Or when you're six, I mean. Or when you're six, yeah. And, you know, that people who are drunk and people who are six are very, very indistinguishable <laughs> from people like Tim LaHaye, <laughs> uh, the, the brainchild. <laughs> behind left behind uh (laughs) so this is the first time and i think this is more influential than we realize that the antichrist is given a personality and a name and a backstory and it's like pinpointed as to like what this person is and what he's going to do and so (laughs) if you if you read the biographical elements of nikolai carpathia it's like it's like a wish list of like right-wing christian end times craziness like everything so like his mother was tricked by a luciferian cult into giving birth to nikolai which happens through like artificial cloning or whatever so she has a virgin birth as well but it's a virgin birth made by science and luciferians Uh. and like also doesn't at all present luciferianism in the way that it actually is, but whatever. So like, so his mother, who's like the Virgin Mary of the Antichrist is, is tricked into making Nikolai in her womb (laughs) through science, uh, which is evil. Rosemary's baby or something. Yeah. Except boring, right? Like Rosemary's (laughs) baby, but like with boring science, with science is way more, you know, dangerous than witchcraft, obviously, especially to Tim LaHaye. Uh, so he's born in Romania. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the it's, it's the closest Ooh. place that we have. It's not Rome. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But he comes from a line of like Roman emperors, so he's like of the I don't know Claudian line or something. I don't know. So he he's connected to the Roman Empire. Check. He's from a place that kind of sounds like Rome. Check. He's Check. the 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 product of Satanists. <laughs> And science. and science check uh so he's a virgin birth like jesus but not like jesus because jesus was the son of god and that's how he was born so ha huh. so this guy nikolai grows up and becomes a, a millionaire somehow and i can't remember how that is and then he's tested by the devil he fails the test and it, oh man it's so bad so anyway 
the name Nikolai Jetty Carpathia Carpathia. Um, there's a lot there that is actually this is probably the name that they thought about the most, and I don't want to give them too much credit. Um, but if some of the theories about why his name is that name are correct, then it's kind of smart. Uh, so Carpathia uh, is a name that in Greek roughly translates to um, to rock, uh, which also happens to be uh, the name of another important figure in, in Christianity. Dwayne Johnson? No, the other one. <laughs> uh, oh, Peter? There it is. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah. I, I, see the, I see the line you're drawing. So, so yeah, so there's this... <laughs> so, Upon this rock, I upon this rock, so right, Peter. Peter means rock, uh, right. or he's sometimes called kephos, uh, 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 which also means rock um, or stone. Uh, so the idea that like Carpathia is the devil's Peter, um, yeah. right, his his right hand man, and so like the Carpathia thing, but then also the Carpathian Mountains and etc. Um, etc. Et Does he deny the devil three times? Also, uh, no, he accepts the devil three times. So like oh, he he doesn't great. pass the devil's test. So the devil tests him after he becomes a millionaire, and like Nikolai fails them all. And so he's like, "Great, you're my guy," or whatever, right? So it's it's such garbage. Uh, anyway, so uh, Nikolai uh, comes from that's um, a variation on Nicholas. Uh, also from the Greek, uh, Nike means victory, as in Nike, shoes, right? Uh, Nike is victory, um, and Laos is people, uh, the people. Um, Nicholas means the, the victory of the people. Um, and so this whole idea that the, the Antichrist is going to be some sort of political figure, some sort of um, rallying figure of humanism, right, like, is is wrapped up in his name. Um, but then I, what I really like is, is that his middle name is Jetty, <laughs> Right, and jetty can mean two things. It can mean a thing that like sticks out in the water, right? That's one version. Do you know what the other meaning of jetty is? Uh, no. Like 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 jeté in French? No, I haven't started my Duolingo. Oh, okay. So, yet, so. <laughs> so jetty like to jettison something, right? Um, oh, is to throw it. Okay. Is to throw it out. Sure. So his middle and last name are throws the stone or throws the rock. Right. Mm. So, what does Jesus say about people without sin? <laughs> they cast the first. Thing. Oh yeah. So, like, let the person wow. without sin cast. So he's yeah, like the, the stone thrower or whatever, right? And so, like, I've read I've read a lot about people dissecting this name um, as as That's interesting as sort of wrapping up all the elements of the of the Antichrist. So literally, like, being the opposite of what Christ said. <laughs> So being the guy who's like, well, me, I'll pick up the stone and throw it, right? Like, <laughs> sure, doink. Uh, uh, missing the point entirely, right? So the, that's, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, so he, he's the Antichrist, and he uh, becomes this powerful figure, and then the three and a half years thing happens. Then he dies, and then he gets possessed by the devil. So that's a new element to it, right? So, so mm-hmm. in the Left Behind series... Uh, the Antichrist isn't actually even Nikolai Carpathia. It's 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 his body is the vessel um, for the devil. And I think it's like the Antichrist is the part that leads up to the devil taking the body of the Antichrist and like becoming the beast. I don't know. Um, but 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 that's where it's most popular now. So there really does seem to have been because of the Left Behind series, which are monumentally uh, influential on sort of 
um, apocalyptic end times Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity uh, in America, which is a lot of people. Um, this really does seem to be where like it's it's come back into our lexicon um, and come back into where we're calling people the Antichrist. Um, again, we saw a lot of it with Obama, right? There was yeah. tons of calling the Obama the Antichrist. Um, there's a, enough people calling Trump the Antichrist, right? I I favor that <laughs> in general, right? Like if we're going to choose one of the two. Um, but what I've also found really interesting is basically every pope has been called the Antichrist over time by somebody. Um, and that almost every president, especially every modern president, there's been at least some public reference to that person being the Antichrist. The one exception to that is Gerald Ford. <laughs> because, because... Good for Gerald. <laughs> I, I think we should end it here because this is <laughs> this is just the greatest thing, and it's it's the Antichrist is supposed to be a charismatic figure who is you know rallies people around him, yeah. and Gerald Ford just doesn't fit that description. <laughs> right? yeah. The least interesting and least charismatic president we've ever like. Even Jimmy Carter had like acolytes, right? Uh, right. And definitely people called Jimmy Carter the Antichrist. Um, but the only person who seems to have escaped Antichrist accusations <laughs> in modern history of all American presidents is our friend Gerald even, Ford. Even going back to uh, what's what's his name uh, before Lincoln? Um, Andrew Jackson? N- no, no. Um, well, one of the guys before or after was, was just such a dull did nothing you know you oh yeah there's a bunch of those there's like your miller yeah. fillmore's and your yeah 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 yeah, yeah. hayes rutherford b hayes and like yeah um there's a lot of really boring presidents out there. john tyler was the one i was thinking of oh tyler sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um yeah but i mean ford is 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 the one who like was never supposed to be president <laughs> really sucked right, at right. it literally nobody liked him right uh the only interesting thing he did was 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 uh pardon nixon and even that didn't get him any People. antichrist love like that that's really sad um yeah so, you know, somebody out there, write a, write a hot take think piece about how Gerald Ford was the Antichrist. And let's, you know, let's posthumously give Gerald Ford his due as uh, being in the true line of presidents. Yeah, because um, it's not surprising that Reagan, Clinton, Bush, Obama, and all those, that it seems, seems to make sense based on the criteria of being charismatic yeah. you know yeah. uh, and again it's great because there's really very little description there's there's not a real definition of what the antichrist is so just like you know anybody that you want to call the antichrist you can call the antichrist. well i mean if you're talking about what you you know when we talk about john i mean if that is the true definition of antichrist <laughs> then none of it really applies because uh, you know except for you know whatever you want to say if you hate them then it makes sense if you think that they're morally corrupt people. Then sure. Yeah, if we're gonna go back to John, then it's just anybody who tells you you're wrong is an antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> like lay it on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good times. Anyway, so um, that's the antichrist. Uh, and wow. and and we, I think we all learned something today. Yeah. No, I mean honestly, it makes me want to go and and read some more about this. Uh, all, all the reading that I never got to do in college. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating it's it's a fascinating area of study, and I think it's also it's there's very little like really good 
scholarly literature on it, which is which is I think really interesting. A, a lot of the literature talks about there's a lot about like the way that um, the the devil. Uh, the notion of the devil and the notion of Satan and so on and so forth, and like the extra biblical stuff uh, and and sort of the association with anti-Semitism and the association with Judas Iscariot and all that sort of stuff. Like there's a lot about that, right? But like, I think the Antichrist really has had, has been sort of a, a very niche thing, both in Catholicism and in Protestantism for a long time. Um, and I really think the only time that it's really sort of come to the popular lexicon is in 1995 is is since the Left Behind books, mm-hmm. um, so I don't think there's really been a great window for a lot of good Antichrist study. But um, yeah, I, I would I would love to uh, dive even deeper into this. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. If there's a lot out there. If there is, let me know and I'll uh, I'll I'll plug it. Yeah, well, and and definitely let me know. Uh, you know, just send me some of that stuff you've been reading because I uh, I gotta <laughs> I gotta get on this. Oh, so There's you have 50, you have knowledge. fifteen more left behind books to read. Well, yeah, yeah. So if, uh, I want, if I want that iteration of of the Antichrist, I guess I should start. <laughs> and from what I remember, I mean, it didn't take me long to read it. Even even no, it's really 12, bad. It's, yeah, it's like reading a screenplay. It's just yeah, it's just page well, after page. Of, yeah, yeah. To, I mean to to explain so when i read it i i was this time in my life when all i did was read i read all the time anytime i could and i read one left behind book so i don't know if that says something about the quality of the book but uh yeah i was better off reading stephen king anyway so everybody is always better off reading stephen king If, if you take anything away from today's podcast Read more Stephen King. <laughs> Read more Stephen King. <laughs> because that is a better story than Left Behind. <laughs> right. And by that, I mean any of his books. Even Cell or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> even even thinner. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah, that one's... That's rough. It's just not good. It's not good. No, no, it's not. No. <laughs> uh, this has been Teddy Smith. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, and, and this has been Hard to Believe, Episode 2. Um, thank you for joining us, and we'll be back soon.